Hey everyone, welcome to episode 73 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Uh, Ginny's still away, uh, but I do have Andrew Brown here. Hello. Um, this week we're going to talk about uh, the Final Fantasy X HD remaster, uh, the news from the Mario Maker 2 Direct, a little bit about Tetris 99, This War of Mine, and New Star Manager. So uh, let's just jump into updates from the previous episode. So just the uh, one update this week, uh, Andrew's previously spoke in depth about Final Fantasy X, I, I joined in, I've got a bit of experience with that game. Uh, you've since finished it on the Switch? Yeah, this past week. Cool, and uh, how did you find it now that the credits have rolled? Having not played it since the PlayStation 2 over 10 years ago, I find the game by and large still mostly holds up. This was the first like really cinematic Final Fantasy game that had a lot of cutscenes and a lot of talking in it. The cinematography is really amateurish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, there's a, a cinematic technique called blocking, which is where characters are standing in the frame and how they are arranged in the frame. And the blocking is not great. Seemingly every cut is a crossfade, and it's like there are different ways to cut between camera shots than with a crossfade, but Almost every shot you crossfade, which gets really annoying after a while. And there's a lot of slowdown. It, it, it kind of looks like what somebody makes the first time they get their hands on Windows Movie Maker. It's kind of that quality. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's <laughs> it's kind of silly. It, it It's fun in its own way, just how bad it is really it didn't hamper my enjoyment of it at all i was just watching it was like wow whoever made these cutscenes does not know anything about filmmaking let's move on <laughs> the game as we discussed on the last episode was totally linear but again i didn't feel like that really hurt the game's quality at all because it kept it really focused in the story and on what you're doing and what is happening next all the way up to the end game where you're at the boss's doorstep and that's the point where you are cut loose and you are allowed to go back and retrace your steps and visit previous areas and there's actually surprisingly a lot hidden there a lot of it gets added as you've passed those points so you don't really get a chance to see them until the end of the game and you're revisiting areas but there is surprisingly a lot to go back and see and a lot of that has to do with unlocking the celestial weapons which i had no idea even existed on playstation 2 and that affected the difficulty because <laughs> <laughs> i i completely destroyed the final boss in this game it is one of the easiest final fantasy final bosses i've ever ran into which really surprised me because on playstation 2 i really struggled I must have been really bad at this game 10 years ago because I had to stop and grind for four or five hours before I could even survive the final boss's first attack. Playing now as I took the time to go back and unlock the character's super powerful celestial weapons, I took him out in about five minutes on my first try. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess if you're coming at it from a first try and you're maybe not all that experienced i mean i would have thought 10 years ago that i was pretty experienced at rpgs because i've been playing them for years but something back then i was missing because i really really struggled to get through that final area and this time i i just i annihilated it i mean the video is up on my youtube channel <laughs> if you want to go watch it, it it's almost comical how little effort i had to put into it like uh oren who is 
the big bruiser in your party who always deals lots of damage. Uh, not the final boss, but the second to last boss. His first attack was a crit and dealt almost half the boss's total hit points in one attack. <laughs> I, I was stunned and then I just started laughing. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed Final Fantasy X. I still think it's a great game. Uh, it's not a perfect game by any means, but I, I think it has a focus and a precision which the Final Fantasy series as a whole has lost in the past 20 years since this game came out and i just i really think it, it holds up great even after all this time except for blitzball <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I did compliment blitzball in our introductory episode for when this game first came out i do still think there's a good game in there it's just not here uh the presentation <laughs> is off and the difficulty is feels completely random I, I did try to play blitzball so that way i could get waka's celestial weapon uh i spent about a half an hour trying and i'm just like forget this let's just move on <laughs> poor blitzball it deserves so much better than it gets treated here <laughs> yeah it was uh, a lot better the second time around for me the old blitzball but um i still didn't invest a lot of time into it because i i had uh, like at the time review pressure and stuff like mm-hmm. that so yeah. I- i'm sure it's great if you can dedicate that time but. well it's like the first time i played the game i was like i wanted to get away from blitzball i never wanted to touch it again and this time i actually did want to play it i just when i sat down to play it i was like no actually i don't want to do this after all so there is a changing <laughs> relationship there interestingly i um played when i first completed final fantasy 10 i did it without jack's uh shot because i accidentally didn't know that it was a thing and then saved immediately after yeah. overriding my previous save and then then i read about this amazingly powerful shot that was really useful in in certain boss fights uh that was frustrating and apparently that helps a lot with uh, blitzball as well yeah it basically makes if you can get titus near the net you basically get a free point to a certain extent <laughs> once titus gets higher level in blitzball which is part of the problem of blitzballs you have to grind your character's stats up which is like after you've spent 30 hours leveling characters for combat it's like i have to do it for blitzball now too (laughs) no thanks (laughs) uh just interestingly from the from our recent final fantasy discussions you've actually uh inspired me to go back to my series playthrough so i went back to final (laughs) fantasy 5 on vita final fantasy 5 that's one of the good ones i remembered why i stopped though was because uh, it was the PS1 port. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the Vita. Mm-hmm. No, you got to get the Game Boy Advance version. It was just so slow, every loading transition. Uh, but I did just discover the, the Thief's dash ability, and that's helping me through it a lot better now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I will eventually get back onto these Switch ones. So I'm just, I'm just two games away, and I can't wait. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the latest Switch news. <laughs> Okay, first up, uh, Nintendo held a Super Mario Maker 2 Direct this week. There are a couple of things to note. Of course, the the announced slopes the, when they did the initial announcement. Uh, the Angry Sun is in. Uh, there's a new on and off switch, which changes the red and blue blocks around like they do in New Super Mario Bros. U. Uh, you can have a custom water level, so you can do above and underwater in the same thing. There's a Banzai Bill, which are red variations of... The bullet bills, which just sort of target you like a homing missile. Uh, this couch co-op making, so you have a Joy-Con each and you can create a level together, which sounds like chaos. <laughs> 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 I can't imagine that being much fun. 
maybe I'm just too much of a control freak. Uh, me and my friend were watching the direct together, and when we saw it out, we were both just like, no, nope. <laughs> that's okay. Shoulder cost fights. Uh, there's new cost themes, uh, such as desert, snow, forest, and sky. Uh, new music from Koji Kondo, that would be interesting. Uh, there's like an alternate mode using the moon. Uh, where you can unlock night versions of the themes, and depending on which theme you use, it can affect the physics, I guess, in a way, or change the lighting. There's a separate mode for all the Super Mario 3D World stuff, um, I assume because it'll just break the creation thing for everyone else. Cat Mario and clear pipes and that sort of thing are all gated off from the rest of the creation portion. Sort of stifles the creativity a bit, I worry, but we can only see how that one will go. There's some online modes, which um, I saw people say seemed super convoluted, but I didn't think it was. Uh, basically, four switches no. <laughs> can co-op together, and only one of them needs a constant internet connection. Pretty simple to me. A couple of functions: there's there's co-op and like a versus mode where you have to race through and try. You can try and sabotage each other. Uh, the one that I certainly got my interest, I imagine it would have got Andrew's as well, was the new story mode. Yes. Uh, where you actually have to rebuild Princess Peach's castle. Uh, and to do that, you have to collect the coins by doing uh, jobs from the bulletin board. And here's where you get to play levels created in the editor, but by actual professional level designers. <laughs> um, and I guess a lot of it here is trying to show you how to use things to give you inspiration for making other levels. But it, it certainly looks interesting. Yeah, Mario Maker 1 on Wii U had a similar mode, but it was just a bunch of levels just listed in a menu. There was no story mode wrapped around it. I I was wondering if this game was even going to be worth playing without an internet connection, and I was very happy to see that story mode added in. Yep, uh, that's definitely what what the draw is for me. Now, I know you've expressed concern uh, that uh, there's not much this year that Nintendo's outputting that you're excited for. (laughs) Yeah, well... This is the one? There's plenty out coming out this year that Nintendo's making that I've been excited for. They just haven't been featured. You know, there was the Pokemon Direct, which I was like, oh, this looks really safe. And then there was the big Fire Emblem feature and the last big like collective direct they did, and I saw nothing in that to excite me. But finally, there was a direct here that wasn't indie games. I was like, yes, this is something I want to play. Finally, there's been something like that. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this direct. I'm the opposite of this. This this is uh, one I'm, I'm definitely glad exists, and I'm definitely going to buy it, and I'm going to enjoy it while I play it, but it's not... It's not one that I'm rabidly excited for. I'm definitely more more into the the Fire Emblems and that, and I'm I'm totally more interested to see what they do with Animal Crossing on the Switch. There was a bit of an offshoot discussion from this announcement, which was the uh, game vouchers, which are available for <laughs> Nintendo Switch Online members, creating a lot of discourse. Uh, I think people were missing the point of why they exist, but basically you can make a saving. So I'm looking at the press release here. So in Australian dollars, you can save 34 bucks for two digital games. It sort of brings them down more in line with the physical pricing, I guess. Uh, what was your take on this? Because there seemed to be a bit of uh, Venom directed at Nintendo for it. Uh, this is paying full price for big AAA games digitally. So I was like, nah, pass. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, in the U.S., you get 10 bucks off each for $20 savings, which is fine. Or you could use it for a $50 game and save yourself absolutely nothing. So I think that is, but that was part of the complaint about it was not every game that people are going to necessarily want to use these vouchers on are actually going to save them any money because it's $50 no matter what game you actually use the voucher on. Obviously, it's intended for the $60 games, but there's nothing in place requiring you to use them on that. Or I, I think there's going to be some confusion with that casual consumers about that aspect of it and i think some people are going to wind up getting ripped off without meaning to and then there are people talking about well you can actually game this system even more because you know sometimes the big box stores their eShop gift cards go on sale so you can actually buy game vouchers for eShop points that you got discounted so you're getting a discount on top of a discount and it's like <laughs> ah, i have a headache can't you just <laughs> discount the legend of zelda is it really that hard to just sell the legend of zelda for 40 dollars? <laughs> <laughs> but nintendo likes their player's choice club where after a couple years sometimes the games will go down to 20 bucks but then there will be games like my favorite example is Super Mario 64 on Nintendo DS, which even at the end of the DS's lifespan, Super Mario 64 DS was still $40. So uh, that, That's been the case here as well. And yeah. I, I, I luckily found one for 10 bucks in a, in a cash converter, which I was very happy with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very Nintendo program. And the, this is just one of those moments where I just like with voice chat i just stick my fingers in my ear i'm like i don't care i'm not listening this is not important to me this does not affect me in any way i'm moving on thank you very much <laughs> there is a lot of things with nintendo where it's like this is great but if you just bent a little more it may be a little better but yeah th this might be something like with a lot of nintendo's things is like this makes sense in japan <laughs> nowhere else you know I, I i'm just that's not based on anything you know i'm not part of japanese culture i have not lived there but a lot of the problems with nintendo especially how they handle like social gaming is because it makes sense in japan but we are not in japan so <laughs> this this could well be another manifestation of that problem fair enough uh and the last thing that i wanted to touch on and use i wouldn't usually report on this as a feature but tetris 99 a game i really love uh it's having a, a grand prix event this is its third one uh the the reason i wanted to mention this one is because it's to celebrate the 35th anniversary of tetris uh, and to celebrate that they're doing an event uh until the 20th of may that uh, they've changed the the skin of the game to the game boy tetris theme so it's got the box art in the background the the board is the like the shape and color of of the original game boy uh there's other like there's the logons and stuff on there and it's great and you can unlock it permanently by accumulating a hundred points over several matches before the event ends i've done it didn't take me long um and it's definitely the skin i want to use playing this forevermore because <laughs> i love that old uh green monochrome <laughs> uh so just yeah get get on that if uh, that's something you want okay so let's chat about the games we played this week Uh, now, uh, I think I'll start, because I think mine is the one that's going to lose most of our audience, and then we can end on a positive. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be negative, but I'm not going to be positive about <laughs> mine either. No worries. Uh, so, uh, New Star Manager. Uh, so this, I briefly touched on last week, this is a sort of a spin-off of a 
a mobile game where it was kind of like football manager but played from the player's perspective and you took control of like a a young player and then you played through their careers as they go through working your way up the ranks getting better deals and all the the gameplay was done through like this touchscreen interface Uh, this takes that and does make it an actual management sim and it mixes together football management sims and hands-on football games in a really cool way the back-end stuff you will sign players you'll you know sort out your formation you'll you'll train players Uh, and then when you go to matches in management games this tends to be a very hands-off experience unless it's fifa which gives you the option Uh, and similarly to new star soccer uh, what happens is it plays through through the match uh, similar to, to football manager and then at key points you will get control when your team is attacking so then it's it's almost like a, it's not really turn based, but it, the action is paused until you make a motion. So you can either run or you pass as soon as the ball hits the other player. It'll pause, so you can sort of figure out what you want to do next. And, to, and then basically you have to try and score in that that chance. There's no defensive options. Oddly, I thought there would have been more of that, but I think to, to try and keep the management aspect of it, they've left that out. You can play it uh, with physical controls, which are, are done really nicely, or you can play it with touchscreen controls, which are similar to the other game I've played. But what it does differently is in the management of the players and how you train them and build up their skills in the back end, it's done very differently. So it's actually done with cards, which you earn by doing things like fulfilling board requirements uh, they'll set you like mini goals like you know win win a game by two clear goals or beat this particular team or you know win or draw this this many games uh, and then by building facilities around the club such as the training grounds or improving the stadium then you can get more cards sort of on like a cooldown timer you can build like a youth development system where every eight matches it'll give you the option to to claim a a new player uh this cards for everything this cards for player abilities so you can uh, make them able to play on both sides of the pitch you can improve their pace you can make them stronger you can improve their tackling uh, and then a lot of the management of the actual preparing your team for the for the matches comes down to energy so you'll some of the cards are for energy drinks, so you can uh, slap them on players, so they will be reinvigorated for the next match. Otherwise, you'll have to rest them. Uh, that sort of thing. That sort of system makes it feel like it's come from a a free to play uh, sort of background, but um, it's it's definitely not that way. It's just about controlling the pace and stopping you from doing all the really important things straight away. With that way of managing things, it does mean that it's not really a sim. Um, it's just sort of like a football themed game uh, so it does lack sort of like the realism and and that comes across in the way you you, uh, you buy players and how the contracts work and like if you've got a player whose contract's running down you can just get a contract extension card and just slap that down on them and that's that's problem solved overall it definitely lacks the depth of something like football manager which is like a, a game i really love a game i've played since childhood but there is definitely something here i'm finding it hard to put down uh it's just got this nice nice little rhythm uh where everything about it is just is just pleasing from you know like improving a player raising up one of your youth players to sell to another team and then the actual match mechanics they just have this nice brevity 
and the mechanics are, are fun enough that I just want to keep jumping back into the next one. Um, it's been a bit of a weird week for me because my wife's been in surgery, getting her wisdom teeth out. She's fine. But this has been what I've been going to in between because I haven't had a, a great deal of game time and I've, I've also not been in a mood where I've been wanting anything more in depth. So I've, I've sort of parked Dragon's Dogma for this last week and, and this has been the thing I've gone to which has been awesome. Yeah, so not particularly deep, but definitely enough to keep football fans coming back to it. Uh, something that I know Andrew is not. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can wake up now. So you have been playing what I imagine would be a very depressing game. <laughs> yeah, to say but the a, least. a depressing game I'd like to experience at some point. Uh, this War of Mine Complete Edition. Yeah, when the game opens up, there's a title card. It's an Ernest Hemingway quote. Uh, it says, In war, you will die like a dog for no good reason. That's the first thing you see when you boot this <laughs> game up. Because what this game is about is about civilians trying to survive during wartime, which is a story that really does not get told often enough. This I believe is based on the siege of Sarajevo, which happened in the 1990s, uh, which was a horrible thing that happened. Uh, I remember reading a book when I was a kid called Zlata's Diary, which was a published version of this boy's diary uh, who was living in this war zone while this civil war was going on around them. And this happened in a place where everybody was saying, this is the modern world, this is not going to happen here, and then it did, and it was a really ugly time. Uh, and this game builds on those kind of ideas where you are civilians, you're educated, modern people, and you're now forced to live in this city, trapped between this rebel army that's occupying the city and the government army that's trying to kill them. And you're not on either person's side, you're just trying to live your life and not get killed, which becomes harder and harder as food becomes more and more scarce and the other people living in the city start raiding you to steal your resources or to hurt the people who are living there and it gets darker and darker and darker and as should be apparent from my description this is a survival game which is a really popular genre in indie game development uh, but the problem is once you get past this social commentary and this situation that it's created uh, it's not a terribly interesting survival game uh, it's very slow paced uh, it's almost like pikmin at times where you are directing your different survivors uh, to work in different places at different times during the day and managing your time well so that way you can get the most done but that doesn't last for very long because after a couple days you've already done everything there is to do in your home shelter uh, so your days go with you upgrading your equipment cooking something, making sure people are sleeping in beds so that way they're rested and not getting sick and not getting injured. And then the night comes, and night is when you go out into the city to different locations to loot places for resources so you can keep your people fed and so you can upgrade your shelter and repair walls and things like that. That is the far more interesting half of the game, but even that starts to run out of steam after a while after you've really picked these different places dry which really tells a good story it really hammers home what it's like trying to live in a city under siege where there is no food being brought in where we really take it for granted people living in cities if you need food go to the grocery store well what happens if the grocery store is no longer there and all the food is gone that's an interesting idea for a game 
but then when the food is gone, what happens is in the game half of it, not the idea half of it, you go to this place, there's nothing there, you leave. That's the end of the night. So you, you spend a lot of time watching loading screens between day and nighttime and not a whole lot happening and basically just getting to the point where you're just watching your guys starve to death and hoping that you make it to the ceasefire that marks the end of the game before that happens. And it's a really cool idea. It has really smart and relevant things to say, but I think it does too good a job of representing the situation. Uh, and then when that situation runs into the game half of things, it just gets kind of boring and depressing at the same time and it's just not fun and on top of it the game is forty dollars and when i compare that to don't starve which is a game that has a lot of things to do there's never a moment in that game when you're not doing something and has a lot of personality and is less than half the price (laughs) (laughs) if you're gonna play a survival game i mean if that's what you're looking for is a survival game get don't starve if you're looking for a really smart game that has something to say i think you might like this war of mine but uh i i'm really conflicted on it fair enough sounds like an interesting experience and and that commentary is kind of why i wanted to look into it because I'm, I'm not massive on the survival thing like i bounced off don't starve pretty hard yeah that is the direction you absolutely need to come at it from there actually is a a stories mode which is the survival part of the game but it also tells a story about the people surviving and it's scripted and everything that happens in it always happens it, it jettisons the the randomized story elements without losing the necessity for scavenging and survival and i think i think that's the part of the game that you would be more drawn to cool i think that uh, i'll take your advice on that i think if i get it i will focus on those first and foremost and then play the rest if i feel like i need more but um just a quick thing i was gonna say i i while my wife was actually Having an operation, I played through the entirety of uh, Bloodstained: Curse of the Moon, yes. uh, which I so I've I've never played Castlevania. It's one of those dark spots of mine, but I did love this apparent spiritual successor, shall we say? I haven't really got much to say on it because I I pretty much agree with everything you said, as you should. Don't get used to it, buddy. Uh, if you want to know what both Andrews. Uh, of Switch Focus podcast thought of Bloodstained Curse of the Moon head back to 67 uh, just listen to everything Andrew said and then imagine it said in my voice and then Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is coming out at the end of June I will be playing that I've already got it pre-ordered so that'll be coming up in four or five episodes yeah that, that's partly why I, I got this because I wanted I, I really like the look of Ritual of the Night from mm-hmm. the Lost Direct and I wanted to get this in beforehand and wasn't disappointed. I thought it was a lot of fun. And I think other people should check that out. Okay, Andrew, what are you playing this week? Much to my surprise, the reviews today have come out for Team Sonic Racing. For the first time in my life, I am excited for a Sonic <laughs> game. This is a momentous occasion. Uh, there's a a screenshot I saw of a Super Mario Brothers 3 style world map, and I was like, oh, that looks like something I would like. So yeah, Team Sonic Racing is out Tuesday. I can't believe I'm excited for a Sonic <laughs> game. <laughs> uh, until you realize, of course, they're using Movie Sonic. as the- No, I'm joking, they're not really. And if they had that in there, they would patch it out day one. <laughs> teeth, 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 
teeth. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm probably not picking it up this time uh, or this week. But I did play Sonic Racing Transformed, and I loved that a lot. And that did have a really good uh, sort of adventure mode with that uh, kind of Mario style structure. Uh, probably a bit mm-hmm. more linear than what I think you've just described this one, but it was a lot of fun, and I'm really glad I played it. Now this map has like different routes you can follow, and it's got certain routes are blocked off by like keys Ooh. or star ratings you need to get. It looks like something that'll keep me engaged. Nice. Uh, me, I'm just gonna chip away at Dragon's Dogma uh, this week because I would like to have that finished soon. Um, there's lots of stuff coming up that I want to play very shortly, so yeah, I'll chip away at that. So, thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. The links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. If you'd like to follow us individually on Twitter, you can do so. I'm at Flame Roast Toast, Andrew is at Play Critically, and Ginny is at Ginny Woes. This is great, but if you just bend a little more, it may be a little better.